We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hey everyone, I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. And a quick reminder that we are trained psychologists, but this podcast should not be taken as therapeutic advice. We're also speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily as people with lived experience of the mental health issues we'll be covering today. Our voices are limited and please stay tuned as we will discuss this a little bit more at the end of the episode, including perspectives from people who live with these experiences. And today we are reviewing A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. This is the sequel to A Court of Thorns and Roses. Although it's a bit unusual for us to be jumping into a book series uh, in book two, we have chosen this book for a reason as it covers a lot of mental health issues that are of interest to us. Just to note that we are a spoiler podcast um, and we will be including spoilers up to the end of this book, which is, of course, book two in the series. So that means there might be some spoilers for book one. So if you haven't read book one, maybe don't jump in to our discussion at book two. But we won't spoil beyond that. That's also for my benefit because I haven't read book three, so (laughs) I can't spoil it for you. (laughs) Okay, so Sarah J. Mass is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Throne of Glass series and a Court of Thorns and Roses series. She wrote the first incarnation of the Throne of Glass series when she was just 16, and it has now sold in 35 languages. Most recently, she has published Crescent City, House of Earth and Blood. A brief recap. As we mentioned before, A Court of Mist and Fury is the sequel to A Court of Thorns and Roses, or Akatar. So briefly, Akatar tells the story of 19-year-old huntress Feyre. Feyre is a human woman. She kills a wolf in the woods and a beast-like creature arrives to demand retribution for this murder as the wolf was actually one of the fae. So she's dragged to a treacherous magical land called Prithian that she only really knows about from legends. Feyre discovers that her captor is not actually a beast or an animal, but a fae named Tamlin, one of the lethal immortal fairies who once ruled their world. Over the book, Feyre eventually falls in love with Tamlin. When the court are captured by an evil fae named Amarantha, Feyre engages in a series of trials to free Tamlin and her friends, eventually defeating Amarantha and being resurrected as fae herself. As part of the trials, Feyre made a bargain with the mysterious Resand, High Lord of the Night Court, in order to save her life. And this bargain involved spending one week of every month with Resand in the Night Court. Where we pick up the story in Akamath, Feyre survived Amarantha's clutches to return to the Spring Court, but at a steep cost. Though she now has the powers of the High Fae, her heart remains human, and she can't forget the terrible deeds she performed to save Tamlin's people. Nor has Feyre forgotten her bargain with Resand. A greater evil looms, and she might be the key to stopping it. Quick note, this is a long and involved fantasy book. Uh, so as you might have gathered from what was meant to be a brief recap, there's actually quite a lot going on. We will be covering content throughout the book, but mostly focusing on the discussion of Feyre's mental health, which is mostly in the first third of the book. So we wanted to just flag why we chose this book. Uh, I will put my hand up and say this was me pushing Mm -hmm. to cover this book because I am a fangirl of this series, despite its flaws. I've been suggesting that Priscilla read this for a while, uh, but eventually convinced her to. And 
you know, e- even if you were a bit ambivalent about the series before, I'm hoping I've converted <laughs> you to liking the series, if not being the same level of fangirl that I am. <laughs> Just a note that Elisa's <laughs> suggestion includes giving me two of the books. So. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time to agree to pick it up. And I was pretty skeptical going into Akatar, but Akumaf really picked up in terms of quality and plot, I think. And the reason we chose it for this particular podcast is because of the way mental health is represented in this story. So um, I've personally noticed that in quite a few fantasy books, a lot of characters do go through traumatic experiences, but they often don't have the greatest representation of trauma and how it affects people in the long term. And that's understandable in a way because a lot of fantasy series are set in older time periods, often based off uh, medieval Europe in some capacity. And so characters understandably don't have the language or the resources that contemporary characters do. I don't know if there were therapists back then, probably not the way they are now. Few present post-traumatic stress in a nuanced way. So that was why I was interested in covering it for this particular episode. Yeah, and I think few fantasy books go past the big battle or the happy ending. Akatar sort of serves up the happy ending at the beginning and then explores that maybe it wasn't so happy after all. We will be covering trauma, um, discussion of trauma in this book. Uh, Farah experiences post-traumatic stress after her experiences at the end of Akatar. Part of the trials under the mountain, she nearly escaped death multiple times, was required to murder two innocent fairies, and then actually died herself, only to be resurrected into a fae. Uh, Sarah Jamas herself has also spoken in a few recent interviews about her own mental health, including severe anxiety, depressive symptoms, and panic attacks. She has also spoken about her experiences with therapy and medication. I don't know at what point a book is considered own voice. Uh, Sarah J. Mass hasn't spoken about personally being impacted by PTSD, but I'd also understand if she had been, she wouldn't necessarily want to disclose mm. that because um, that would open up a lot of questions about what trauma has she experienced. But at least in terms of the depiction of anxiety and depression and panic, uh, you could say that Sarah J. Mass is speaking from personal experience in a way. We will also be discussing abusive relationships, in particular intimate partner abuse. And I also just wanted to give a brief trigger warning for a few other things, including suicidal ideation. Um, There's quite a bit of sexism and misogyny in this world. And just to flag that this is quite a sexy book. Uh, So, you know, it's a bit steamy at times. So we might also be talking about sex a little bit. So if you are listening with small children or you're not keen on listening to that just in general we'll we'll try to keep it pg but just be aware that that's something that will be coming up today this is not a young adult book please no. even though it's often shelved that way it is not now we're going to start our detailed book recap So the book picks up, as we've mentioned, following the traumatic experiences under the mountain and Feyre is suffering. So although she's back in the spring court, Tamlin keeps her in the court, refusing to allow her to participate in various activities that are going on to rebuild their lands after suffering for so many years. Feyre has noticed the gratitude of the people in the spring court, but does find this quite crushing at times. 
she's still experiencing a lot of guilt. Meanwhile, in the court, she's being dressed in soft feminine clothes, presented as a symbol of hope, known to the court as being Feyre Cursebreaker. Resand hasn't contacted them for months, despite their bargain. Mm. So what we've already noticing in the first couple of pages are various symptoms of PTSD that Feyre is experiencing. So I just wanted to cover some of these. Some of the most obvious symptoms are the nightmares and flashbacks, which Feyre experiences on a daily basis, it seems. And they can be triggered in a number of ways, including when she sees the color red. I believe she started avoiding that color because it brings Mm. on the flashbacks. And these nightmares are really severe as well, to the point where she's often waking up and vomiting in the middle of the night. And Tamlin and Feyre don't seem to be communicating about this, so surely Tamlin has realised that this is happening. Yeah, it's on one hand, it's under you understand that perhaps he's going through his own stuff. On the other hand, I think even Farah made a re- reference. It was a passing reference to the possibility of Tamlin pretending to stay asleep while she's vomiting in the bathroom. Mm, which is obviously quite concerning. Yeah. Uh-huh. And for those who might not know, um, PTSD is understood to be the the brain's way of sort of struggling to come to terms with a traumatic experience. So memories are not being encoded and stored in the brain the way that normal memories are, which is why these flashbacks can happen that are triggered at various times. So unfortunately, Feyre hasn't been able to process and come to terms with what happened at the end of Akatar. So all of this is still going on in her head. At the same time, she's experiencing what we call cognitive symptoms of PTSD. So that's the the stuff that runs through your brain. So in this case, she's having a lot of negative thoughts about herself. There's a lot of guilt and self-blame. She's extremely worried about the future. This is really sad, but she thinks that she's broken and that she can't be fixed. Yeah, a lot of her thoughts are quite dark. There's a quote from chapter one where she says, I wished I felt nothing. I wished my human heart had been changed with the rest of me, made into immortal marble, instead of the shredded bit of blackness that it was now, leaking its ichor into me. We also see the, uh, the various ways that PTSD can impact on you physically. So in this case, she's feeling this kind of chronic stress reaction, easily startled, unsettled, Lots of trouble sleeping, not just due to the flashbacks, but also falling asleep in the first place. Her appetite's really low and she's lost a lot of weight too. She's also experiencing a lot of depressive symptoms, so feeling numb, uh, losing interest in activities that used to bring her joy, notably painting. So when she's not feeling upset or sad, she's she's just not really feeling much at all. Yeah, she mm. seems sort of detached from everything that's going on around her. She doesn't really care what other people do, in a sense, Mm. or even do to her because she lets herself be dressed in these clothes that aren't quite her. So in the meantime, Feyre and Tamlin are preparing for their wedding. So between book one and book two, they've become engaged. And by the time it gets to the wedding, she is not happy. Feyre is dressed in this ridiculous wedding dress, this very like floofy, puffy monstrosity that she really dislikes and I think is quite symbolic of the role that they want her to play in the court as being like an ornament or a symbol Mm. rather than um, an equal to Tamlin. And she's walking down the aisle, sees Tamlin, starts to panic. She's screaming in her head saying, get me out of here, I don't want to do this. 
and thinking that she will never get better, that she doesn't deserve Tamlin. Lots of lots of racing thoughts. Mm. And then who will finally appear but Resand, High Lord of the Night Court with very dramatic timing. It's time for this bargain to kick into place. And so he whisks her away to the Night Court. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> also, I wonder if Tamlin also sees fairer in that way in that she's this fragile thing that needs to be put on a pedestal and not be allowed to really participate in anything that might break her so tamlin is quite protective of fera um he's obviously had to witness her die and be resurrected which will be a very traumatic thing for him as well and he he experienced his own trauma too but unfortunately by protecting fera and keeping her kind of leashed it's just making things worse for her. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to see that. The more she says, I need to get out, I need to help, I need to feel like I'm actively rebuilding, the more he says, no, you have to stay here, you have to be safe. Now that we're at night court with Farah, she is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't necessarily be want to be taken away by this mysterious seemingly evil High Lord, Reese, who forced her into a bargain um, in order to save her life. You know, dramatic timing aside, he he was able to use the bond to realise that she was screaming for help and she wanted to get out of there. So from his perspective, he's kind of saying, well, you're, you're welcome yeah. for me saving you. She's going, how dare you take me away? But, you know, head going, that was actually good timing because I didn't want to go through with this. <laughs> so as per their bargain, she has to stay for a week at Night Court. She's taken to the House of Wynn, a castle within the Night Court. She expected this place to be a place of nightmares. But actually, it seems pretty friendly and welcoming. And she actually feels a lot less claustrophobic as we say, she was initially pissed at Riz, and Riz is also angry because she he could see changes in her. You know, she's thin and she's fatigued, and she's clearly struggling. And it's saying something that he notices those things, and Tamlin does not seem to. He also believes that Feyre might have special abilities or powers because she was resurrected by all seven High Fae's. And Riz believes that if this is the case, then Farah needs to learn to use those powers. He also insists that she learns to read because she's illiterate and that nearly killed her last time. And that she should also shield her mind to protect herself. So he puts her to work almost straight away in the night court. Farah meets Reese's cousin, Morrigan, also known as Moore. Um, Reesand informs Farah that a war is coming. The king has been planning to claim the mortal lands where Feyre's family still lives. And Rhysand wants Feyre to find out if Tamlin will ally with the Night Court if it comes to it and they need to be fighting the king. So a lot happens in this week that Feyre spends Mm -hmm. in the Night Court, but eventually she does come back to the Spring Court. We learn that Tamlin basically trashed the house after Feyre left on their wedding day because he couldn't stop the bargain from kicking in. From his perspective, you know, this evil person has just kidnapped his fiance on their wedding day. Okay, I, I will give him that. That's pretty awful. I can understand why he's upset, but <laughs> crashing the house is not a good sign and no. a big red flag. Yeah. That Tamlin is not 
exactly coping with his anger in a healthy way. Someone has that much power, like literal physical power as well as magical power, and they're not able to regulate their own emotions, that's dangerous. He hasn't exactly healed from the trauma either, but this does not excuse his behaviour in my view. It just keeps getting worse as well as we'll cover. And I think a lot of that might have to do with the fact that Tamlin does not discuss what happened under the mountain, whereas what we will see later in the book is that Riss does discuss his experiences, even though he's quite selective, I suppose, about Mm. what he tells and who he tells it to. But he does communicate that, which is healthier. Anyway, so Tamlin and Lucian, um, Lucian, by the way, is um, Tamlin's closest friend and is in this kind of advisor role within the court. So Tamlin and Lucian interrogate Feyre about her week in the night court and she gives them as many details as she can. So Feyre uh, begins to show some signs of the powers that Reese had identified. So, for example, she burns her table with her fire, these fire powers and she accidentally enters Lucian's mind at one point as well. Neither of these are within her control. Tamlin also wants her to suppress her powers rather than learning how to use them or to control them, which definitely reminds me of uh, Elsa in Frozen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dangers of trying to suppress your powers. Uh, mm. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to be going so well. A few weeks later, Feyre returns to the night court for another week as is part of the bargain. And Rhysand again notices that she seems to have lost weight in between the visits and is quite withdrawn. But Feyre has been practising and her reading and mind shielding have improved. As the weeks pass, the relationship between Tamlin and Feyre becomes even more strained. At one point, Tamlin actually becomes even more violent in his anger. Although he doesn't hit Feyre directly, he again damages their house in a kind of explosion. That happened after she challenges him. He said no to something she asked and then she pushed. He could very well have hurt her if her power hadn't kicked into place. Yeah, He was immediately apologetic. He didn't mean to do that. Something Mm. to note as well is that after this incident, Tamlin gave her a really expensive present. You know, giving someone a present right after you've done something that could have hurt them or did hurt them is a red flag. It's a classic cycle of abuse stage. And Tamlin continues to refuse her request about training her powers, even when Lucian agrees. Mm. And this all accumulates to one day where Feyre tries to go with them on an outing. But Tamlin actually uses his power to magically barricade her in the house. And understandably, Feyre has a huge panic attack. And it was quite horrible to read, actually. You can feel her claustrophobia really wrap around her. Yeah. So when she was under the mountain, she this is when this this feeling kind of developed of being unable to escape, of being trapped. So to be trapped in the house and unable to leave leads to her feeling extremely powerless and like it, she's in danger. And that's when this this re this remembering comes in of this feeling, and her body just goes into full on panic mode. Mm-hmm. What actually happens is Reese through the the bond, the bargain kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, Reese realizes how panicked she is and quickly puts something into place to rescue her from this situation. So 
um, his cousin Morrigan actually comes to Freyra's rescue and takes her out of the house and together they travel to the night court. Feyre is very shaken by what happened there, naturally. She and Rizan strike a deal where she works for him and helps him with his war efforts against the king, and he will give her anything she needs, money, food, shelter. And he makes it very clear that it's her choice to stay, and if she wants to go back to the spring court at any point, he will not put up any argument But Feyre doesn't want to go back. By this point, she's realised, not in these exact words, but that it is a triggering environment for her and that it is negatively impacting on her well-being to be staying there and to be staying with Tamlin. So in her perspective, although she's feeling very guilty and very shaken, her relationship with Tamlin is over. From her perspective, she doesn't think that it's going to be able to be repaired after his taken it this far yeah Feyre becomes integrated within the night court so Rhysand takes her to a city called Valeris which is a city that Rhys was able to hide from Amarantha and the rest of the fairy world so it's this very peaceful beautiful city Feyre eventually also meets the members of Rhys's inner circle so his closest friends and confidants so there's two Illyrian soldiers Cassian and Asriel and a fae-like creature with otherworldly origin named Amran. So in classic Sarah J Mass fashion, each is very attractive, has a tragic backstory, is very old, <laughs> so at least 500 years old. Um, but in this case, they, they form this very tight friendship and they all love each other and are loyal to Reese. and they're just this kind of fun group of people yeah. and quite different to the sorts of relationships that Feyre had observed in the spring court with Tamlin and his friends, or lack of friends, I guess you could say. Yeah. Feyre and Rhys find out that the king is looking to control the cauldron to shatter the wall that separates Prithian from the mortal land. The cauldron is like this this magical object. It is literally a cauldron. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But by wielding the power of the cauldron, the king has immense power. Farah and Reese start to work together to find the Book of Breathings, which was long ago ripped in half. One half belongs to the mortal queens and the other to the summer court. This book is meant to be able to control the cauldron. Essentially, the rest of the book is them trying to find the halves for the Book of Breathings. But uh, before we sort of briefly recap what happens in the rest of the book, I did just want to talk about how Feyre's PTSD changes over time now that she's in this new environment. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Feyre begins to feel quite safe and at home 
in the night court. And this leads to feeling less claustrophobic and restricted compared to when she was in the spring court. When she is having nightmares, which do persist while she's in the night court, Reese can tell through their bond that this is happening for her and he's able a few times to kind of support her, to wake up with her, to be with her. And it works the other way around as well. So we learn that Reese is also experiencing the impacts of trauma. He's having nightmares too. He went through a very long-standing trauma while they were under the mountain. So he was actually there for 49 years and forced to be essentially a sex slave for Amarantha, which is such a, a truly awful thing that he had to go through. But he also had to play this role of being someone, pretending to be someone who was loyal to Amarantha so that he could protect other people, which meant that for a lot of people, he was seen as a villain for a very, very long time. Farah also trains and she becomes physically stronger and she learns to master her panic as well. She seems to regain a sense of purpose, I think, instead of being Mm. just a symbol of hope. So she's working towards finding the book and essentially saving her family who still lives in the mortal land, regains a sense of agency. No one is restricting her choices. She gets to wear whatever she wants. She also gets her emotions back. So for a while, Mm. she was feeling detached and not connected to anything at all. So she was quite Mm. surprised when she started feeling angry and sad again. Part of that is because of the relationships that she's forming with the people in the night court, in particular with Reese. So Reese is able to kind of distract her, push her, at times flirt with her Mm -hmm. um, to try to get her to feel something different. And over time that certainly starts to work. And it, it works the other way as well. So when when Reese is feeling down um, or upset, when he's beating himself up or feeling guilty, Feyre is able to push him, distract him, flirt with him mm-hmm. to try to get him to feel something different and get himself out of the, the brooding, for lack of a yeah. better word. <laughs> yeah, it's a very equal relationship in that way. And their communication is much better than what Feyre had with Hamlin. Over time as well, Feyre also begins to question her own interpretation of the traumatic events that happened. So at the start of the book, she was blaming herself for a lot of the the events and the consequences for what happened under the mountain. So to the point where she admits that she feels that it should have been me who died instead of the the Fae Mm -hmm. that she was forced to kill as part of the trials. She begins to see the events in a more balanced way and becomes more more accepting, although never approving of what happened and realises that she actually saved a lot of people through the trials, even if she had to hurt others. All of this leads to those kind of cognitive symptoms of PTSD reducing over time and she becomes a lot more confident in herself um, and feeling that she is strong, that she is resilient. Yeah, she develops strong platonic friendships with the fae in the inner circle that probably helps with her recovery as well yeah definitely it's not that sort of trope where it's just someone falls in love with a hot guy and then suddenly their trauma disappears yes the situation around her changes as well so she feels more in control and powerful and I think it's it's a combination of all of these different factors that lead to the symptoms decreasing over time anyway the gang manages to track down the book of breathings through a lot of negotiations and trickery and 
dangerous situations. Farah and Riz develop a strong bond. Then Riz is attacked and severely injured. Farah saves his life, and in the process, accidentally learns that they are mates. I cannot get over this word. Um, As Australians, yes, yeah. uh, it's <laughs> we are very used to hearing the word mate in a very different context. So. Um, yeah, reading this for the first time, it's hard not to laugh a bit when they keep saying mate very seriously. They do mean like soulmate, though, not good day mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think in this world, mates are predestined. It's certainly possible that you can reject the mating bond. You don't have to live your life with that person. But in this situation, Feyre and Resand have fallen in love with each other, although we learned that Resand accepted that and learnt that a lot earlier than Feyre did. The realisation comes to Feyre much later in the story and Feyre only lets herself feel that for Reese towards the end of the book. And understandably she had to sort of um, come to terms with what happened with Tamlin and get over the guilt of moving on. Mm-hmm. Reese and eventually explains everything that's happened from his perspective, including a lot of the awful things that they both had to go through under the mountain and the challenging um, sort of situation that he was in where he had to continue acting in this role Mm. but wanted to save her in a way that didn't make it extremely obvious that he was betraying Amarantha. So eventually Chapter 55 happens, the famous sex marathon chapter in this book. (laughs) There is a lot of sex and, you know, good on you if you enjoy that chapter. It is pretty famous. It's very satisfying after a thousand or so pages of sexual tension for them to finally get that tension resolved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But eventually they, they get together and they are officially together and the inner circle are very welcoming of Feyre. Yeah. Oh, something to mention. Before all this happened, Feyre decided to write a letter to Tamlin to say that Mm. it is her choice to leave and that she's not coming back. So it's Mm -hmm. a breakup letter in in essence. Um, Yeah. But very much claiming the choice to be her own and that she's not being controlled by Riz. Mm -hmm. Um, She also said to Riz that she realized that she had never had any kindness or protection in her life before. She started to think that maybe she fell in love with Tamlin because he was the first person to show her kindness Mm. and love, which I guess goes to show that she was a vulnerable person at the start of Akotar. It is only with time that she sort of realizes that, that he was suffocating her and that Mm things weren't right that was maybe what was right for her at that time yeah whereas now so much has changed that she can't go back to being that person the gang sets out to destroy the cauldron in highburn things go horribly horribly wrong as we expect and the entire group is captured turns out tamlin has sold them out well done tamlin <laughs> he is the worst by this stage Ah, so basically he made an agreement with the king that he'll let the king pass through his court to get to the mortal lands if he, the king brings Pharaoh back to Tamlin. Because despite of that letter that Pharaoh wrote, he still believes that Rhys has been controlling her. 
I was just going to highlight that I can see how Tamlin's action at this stage might be seen as romantic because what he's doing is essentially sacrificing the whole world to get the love of his life back. But that's not what Pharaoh wants. No, that no. is not a healthy choice. You do not sacrifice innocent people because a girl is breaking up with you. And also, you know, persistence is not sexy. Yeah. Just let yeah. it let it go, Tamlin. A lot happens in the last 20 pages or so. So we also learnt that Feyre's sisters, Nesta and Elaine, have been captured and they are actually turned into Faye using the cauldron. Uh, the king wants to prove to the traitorous mortal queens that this can be done as he wants to make a bargain with the queens that they'll be turned into Faye. Mm. And this is a very traumatic thing for Feyre's sisters to go through. Feyre, without anyone knowing, has been wielding her own magic, finding the cracks in the magic that binds them. And when she's certain that her friends can escape from the situation, she essentially pretends to be a person who's slowly getting her memory back and makes Tamlin think that she wishes to go home with him to spring and that she has been controlled by Reese this entire time. Mm. She begs the king to end her bargain with Reese and, and the king does this or well he he thinks he does this what actually happens is he breaks the bargain that was made between Feyre and Reese that she would visit him once a month but he can't break the mating bond it's much more ancient magic than just a bargain the bargain is described as being like a cobweb so Feyre you know pretends to go back to Tamlin her friends escape back home with the book of breathings and with Feyre's sisters um Reese and knows what's going on, so he understands that the bond is still intact and that Feyre is only pretending. But Feyre is essentially going to be a spy in the court, but little do they know that Feyre actually married Rhysand the night before and he declared her to be High Lady of the Night Court. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yep, so uh, just a note, um, Tamlin previously told Feyre that there's no such thing as a High Lady. Uh, that there are only high lords so this is pretty symbolic and that's where we leave the book set up for the third in the series a court of wings and ruin that was actually an excellent ending (laughs) Mm, so what are your favorite moments in this book elise i have a lot of favorite moments in this book um just as a not that as a moment but as an overall story i do love the relationship between Feyre and resand um i know this podcast is about mental health but (laughs) i do I do love the romance between them and I love how they empower each other in the end. Um, Neither are perfect and certainly both have made a lot of mistakes and there is a very complicated history there. But I think they work well together. They certainly complement each other and there are lots of really great moments between them. There's um, not many that we've we've covered in the podcast, but the moment where she throws a shoe at him is really funny. The moment where Feyre traps the cereal, which is the creature that informs her that they are mates. Mm -hmm. That being said, overall, I think my favourite part is Feyre's character development and how she grows in confidence and self-worth over time and how her thinking patterns change. What were your favourite parts? (laughs) My favourite parts, I like the same ones you do. I really enjoy Feyre's character arc throughout the book. Mm. I also appreciate that Sarah J Mass manages to turn Tamlin from a love interest to in my case anyway, someone you really struggle to sympathize with. Personally, I didn't care much for him in Akatar anyway. I thought he was just 
brooding all the time. But that's just me. A lot of people do did really love him in the first book, but you know, I certainly felt that he pales in comparison to Resand as being a love interest once you you read further. Yeah, I would agree. And I really do love that final scene in Highburn where the confrontation happens between the gang and the king. Yeah, it definitely sets up the third book in the series well, I mm-hmm. think, because there's a lot of cliffhangers. Yeah, I will definitely be reading the next book. Yay! And I will definitely be sending you memes and fan art <laughs> as you go along. Excellent. What is the rating that you would give this book? All right, so I originally wrote down five stars for this um, because of the fangirl in me. I did reduce it down to 4.5 stars, though, once I took a, a sensible couple of days to think about it. Yeah. I'm a sucker for anything by Sarah J. Mass. I've read most of her books, um, so I am biased. I just I really enjoy her stories. I find them very entertaining. And in my view, I think Akamath is a very good exploration of one character's trauma and its impacts. And rarely have I found fantasy gives you this much insight into PTSD. As much as I wish there were, you know, Faye therapists around to support Feyre in this situation, I know I know that's not the case. Uh, unfortunately, there's still quite a bit of development, I think, in Prithian before they understand how to support people with mental health issues. But as I've mentioned, I do enjoy that the book avoids the trope of simple healing through love. That being said, um, there are a few things that I would have loved, liked to have seen done a bit differently. So I would have liked to have a little bit more about how Reese's trauma impacted him. We only kind of got glimpses of it. He's not a point of view character though, so I can understand why it would just be from Feyre's perspective. Yeah. And there are other flaws with this story. There isn't a lot of diversity in this series or in her other books. Uh, and when there is d- diversity, it is kind of peripheral and fairly surface level. Um, I also have a few uh, criticisms about the story. So there, are, there aren't really many rules about how the magic works in the story. The plot is a bit, MacGuffin focus so it's a lot of let's find object a find object b find object c and that's that will get us to the end of the story some of the timelines are a bit rushed I do feel that she she trained and got quite quite good at some of her powers more quickly than I would expect that being said overall it's still 4.5 stars for me I do very much enjoy this book what about you I gave it four stars it took me by surprise how much I enjoyed it. You know, the insight to PTSD, Feyre's arc as a character. The romance with Reese was also really well developed, in my opinion. I enjoy that Sarah J. Mass obviously has planned for this because once Riss tells his story or his perspective of the events that happened in the first book, it all made sense. The lack of diversity really stuck out to me as a flaw. Mm. So everyone is wide and striped and super hot in the inner circle like the illyrian warriors mm-hmm. are sort of described as having darker skin yeah. and racists having described as having darker skin but you know again like that it's described as being quite eurocentric in features and yeah um, it's still very white yeah. <laughs> the whole thing i suppose the main thing is reading this makes me think are there other writers of color who are writing mm fantasy novels that also address mental health that maybe we just don't know of at the stage because they don't get as much exposure. Yeah. If there are any recommendations that listeners have, I'd love to hear them and you know, mm. potentially books that we could cover. Um, I'm all for reading 
from more diverse authors and wanting to champion those voices. Yeah, me too. In the blog post that we'll put up when this episode goes live, we'll include a few resources around trauma and PTSD. We will link to Phoenix Australia in particular. So they include a lot of information and resources around trauma. We will also include some suggestions for further reading. Um, so if you like the tone and the style of Akatar, Farah J. Mass's other book series, so there's Throne of Glass. She also has her recent book, Crescent City. My recommendation is not a fantasy, it is science fiction. The Animorph series by K.A. Applegate is surprisingly good at showing its characters struggling with increasingly horrific things and battles and the, the mental toll that it takes to participate in those battles. They cover a lot of really intense themes. The other books that I would recommend, although I'm not sure if there's anybody on the planet who hasn't read The Hunger Games yet, but if you haven't, Katniss does also struggle with PTSD after the experiences that she has through The Hunger Games. And it is quite a, a sort of detailed portrayal of what she goes through. We might cover that in a future episode. We had some difficulty finding reviewers or blogger speaking from personal experience, which again is understandable because people don't want to disclose trauma in public often. One particular link we will include from a reviewer named Michaela from the Riverside Library. So one thing that she said as part of her review was, of course, everybody's PTSD manifests in different ways and Farrah's is very different to mine. But one thing I appreciated incredibly was that Farrah's PTSD didn't go away it didn't heal itself and it always reared its head when she needed it least. There is no magical cure. It lingers. Even if its potency decreased over time, it comes back. Mass described the loneliness, the suffocation and the fear of the condition so well I was blown away. It's not something I ever expected to find in a romance or fantasy novel. In the meantime, we also found and read quite a number of reviews from websites such as Goodreads and the Akatar subreddit threads, um, both positive and negatives in terms of the representation of PTSD, where people do refer to their own experiences. And look, there's no right or wrong way to have PTSD. It's one of those conditions that can differ a lot between different people. Yeah, there were a few different observations that came out, although we won't link to any particular review. So some observations have noted that Farah's PTSD feels realistic and have compared it to other books where characters experience trauma and this often gets overlooked or even worse, they become evil as product of their trauma. Some people have also criticised the depiction of races trauma, um, in particular the impact of the sexual trauma that he went through, um, as he is still quite uh, a sexual person and comfortable with being touched. And often people who have been through sexual trauma don't have this experience or don't have it right away. But some have noticed that people have different ways of coping and for some people taking control of their sexuality can feel very powerful. And, you know, I also note that in the context of this story, which is a fantasy story, he is only experiencing that romance with Feyre, who is his mate, which is mm. meant to be this very, like, powerful long-term bond. So I don't know if, if, he, if it wasn't that he was around Feyre and falling in love with her, I, I doubt that he would have been interested in other people at this time. But I don't know. Yeah. There's also criticism that Feyre's PTSD magically disappears after she leaves the spring court and, or after she falls in love. 
I disagree. Yeah, we both disagree about that. Um, to say that would be, you know, thinking that PTSD is just flashbacks or nightmares. Um, whereas in reality, the emotional and cognitive symptoms take much, much longer to heal. I would say that if anything, the message seems to be that you can't heal just through romantic relationships, but the right relationship can be healing. Some people have noted that her recovery is very linear. So it kind of just gradually gets better over time. And for a lot of people with PTSD, it can be more like one step forward, one step back. A lot of people experience complex PTSD, which is much more longer term and often more challenging to overcome from. Yeah, again, I think if we just view this as being one person's experience of PTSD, I think it's a good portrayal. It just means that we need more books about, P- uh, well, not just PTSD, but mental health issues in general, so that yeah. when we do have a representation, it's not meant to carry everyone's experience. If you want to learn more about the book or access relevant resources, check out our website, novelfeelings.com. We post an episode summary and links to further reading for each episode. You can also visit our mental health resources page to learn more about getting support for yourself or somebody you care about or to learn more about mental health in general. If you would like, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to ask us a question or just to chat, you can send us a message via our website or on social media. At the moment, we are on Twitter and Goodreads. Find us on Twitter at novel underscore feelings and on Goodreads via goodreads.com slash novel underscore feelings. You can also find Priscilla online. So Priscilla, where can we find you? You can find me at payfwithbooks with two S at Instagram. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.